Warning, this podcast contains bad language, controversial opinions, and various other forms of thought crime. It is not for the weak of will or the faint of heart. This is a decadent podcast, and if you can't handle that, you should go elsewhere. Further warning, sometimes this podcast doesn't contain anything controversial at all, and it's just me talking about interesting things with regular people. I'm changeable like that. Greetings, fellow mutants, and welcome to the Lemurian Hour, your weekly excavation into the interesting. Presented by the Ministry of Propaganda of the Serene Republic of Lemuria and the Temple of the New Flesh, I'm your host, the Right Reverend Johnny Lemuria. Welcome to another episode of the Lemurian Hour. I am not coming to you from my habitual domicile of Casa Lemuria. Casa Lemuria, I should say, probably, yeah. Shea Lemuria, something like that. Uh, but instead, I now seem to find myself on the ice plant Hoth. Yes, there is about two feet of snow right outside my window. The bird bath is completely covered, as is the driveway. So I didn't go to work today. I just stayed right in and... Uh, and I didn't do anything. I didn't do a damn thing today because I should have done things. I had so many things I could have done. Interesting things, creative things, profound things. But nope, didn't do any one of those. I, I watched YouTube videos. I watched cats. I watched React channel stuff. That, that's all I did. But I'm putting this out today, so there's that. Uh, this episode, we have been, uh, my brother, once again, back to shoot the shit about the state of the world. We also have a, I think, someone I am going to have a lot of fun with later on. I think, I'm hoping she's become a regular contributor to the Lemurian Hour. Unique Grisby of Unique Divi- Divination. She is a uh, magician, and I don't mean... Uh, I don't mean making elephants disappear or stuff like that. I mean, she is a chaos magician, and she does that professionally, and I think that's very, very cool. I think she's very cool, and I really like this episode. So without any further ado, we'll go to Ben, and then we will go to Unique. Hey, Ben, welcome back to the program. Hey, what's up? Not much. <laughs> so, um, it's cold as balls here in uh, Homesville, Pennsylvania. How about you? Uh, it snowed a little bit. Uh, they were really worried it was going to be a lot worse than it actually is right now. So, oh, okay, uh, good. It snowed, and I think it's melted by now. <laughs> so we have... I just want to point out to the uh, listening audience, all, you know, half of you, that uh, mm-hmm. we do cover news on this show, but we don't cover, shall we say, the most popularly pressing issues. Yes, the kid um, broke in on his dad uh, while he's discussing Korea. Yes, that's quite... Inter- We're not going to talk about that. Uh, no. Yes, Sean Spicer wore a flag pin upside down, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> did he really do that? Yes, he did. Nice <laughs> man. But let's talk about uh, something that did come up. The uh, photo scandal that is developing just about all of the military right now. Yeah. So, a little while ago, and by a little while, I... Month or so, uh, the story broke that there was a Facebook 
made up of current and former male marines. It was specifically a group for male marines. Uh, let's see. Uh, what? Uh, like Marines United, I think. Um, that were sharing uh, photos of female marines, nude photos of females. Now, and these photos were not being like volunteered or donated by the females. These were taken either without their knowledge or they were taken by a former lover or boyfriend who is now sharing for some sort of revenge point. Yeah. And this group had over 30,000 members and thousands of women were having their privacy and dignity violated. Fellow Marines, by the way, were having their privacy and dignity violated through this. And um story was broke by an organization called Warhorse and the Center for Investigative Reporting, uh, which Warhorse is sort of a military nonprofit. And now it turns out that it's not just the Marines. Evidently, there are instances of this in all the branches of the armed forces. Well, it's not too surprising. It's messed up, but it's not surprising. Okay, I'd like to hear why. Why it's not surprising? Yeah. Because it's a bunch of meatheads using a computer. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah, that's... That's the thing. I mean, we do not select for warrior poets in our armed forces. No, we want someone that uh, would go out there and kill people, pretty much. Which, you know, sometimes those people are honorable soldiers, and sometimes they're uh, animals. <laughs> okay. Uh, but they're talking major penalties for this. I mean, I doubt... Good. It's, well, yes, I doubt it's going to be as major as you're talking about, because things always happen. Pragmatism sometimes gets in the way of justice. But this could seriously... I say it could, but look at our president. Look where our president is current. Mm-hmm. I, this is a case of jackass-see, jackass-do. Well, you think this is happening because Trump is president? I think he emboldened it. Uh, I'm sure it's been going on way before he was president. Well, that's true. But I... I'd like to say my confidence for massive, harsh justice being served is somewhat less under a Trump presidency than some other president. At well, least, you don't think anything's going to happen to these people? I think some things are going to happen to some people. I don't think as much going to happen as it should. I don't think it's going to happen to it. There's hmm. going to be some arguments made of, well, if we arrest everybody, that's going to seriously, and that's going to be a persuasive argument to some people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I would not know until they actually do something about it. Uh, I doubt it's going to get swept under the rug because everyone knows about it now. Yeah. Because of this show. <laughs> yes, we are the ones with this. <laughs> um, now, this sort of brings up longest, stretchiest segue imaginable. Um, one thing they might do instead of perving our fellow Marines is invest in a good sex role. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, are, there, are we trying to... Are people up in arms that there are sex robots? Oh, yes. Many people are up in arms. Where were they when there was inflatable people? And, you know, the big dolls and all that stuff. Well, I think their main argument that inflatable aren't going to uh, be replacing the opposite sex. Oh, they're afraid of sex robots replacing the opposite sex? Well, um... That's never going to happen. This is uh, from a article from theconversation.com uh, here's a line the campaign led by academics Kathleen Richardson and Eric Billing argues that the development of sex robots should be stopped because it reinforces or reproduces existing inequalities. So, what, what does that even mean? I think it means that making sex robots is going 
put women in a place of disadvantage because it's going to basically make them competing with a robot. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay. okay, check it out. Anyone who's having sex with a robot is already isn't having sex with a real person. True. There's, there's no way the robot is going to replace a real person. I think their argument is something along the lines of, well, Susie, if you won't pull it out on the first date, I have Ronica Electronica here. and that's I mean, haven't women replaced men with vibrators? And you have heard no man complain. I've heard some men complain. Yeah, not real men. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that point. Um, well, while we all like to believe reciprocity and symmetry, in this, it has been pointed out to me uh, more than once by people who study this subject quite intensely that, to quote, dick is abundant and of low value. Yeah, that's that's not true at all. You, you think so? I mean, it is abundant, but uh, low value, it depends on who you ask. Okay. I mean, someone that wants to make a stupid meme, yes, with low value. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just as valuable as anything else. I mean, you can't have kids without it. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but it's gotta, it's gotta come from somewhere. Uh, for right now, yes. I mean, okay. Wh- yeah. What is, what is your bigger concern? Banning sex, ro- sex robots or banning the genetic uh, development of artificial sperm? Uh, I don't think either should be banned. Okay. I don't think anything. I think we had this. Uh, conversation before i don't think anything should be banned unless okay. it's like killing other people <laughs> all right which this isn't this is if anything it's keeping people from reproducing that probably don't need to so you're yeah a, you're fine. one of those uh you're one of those uh liberal nanny staters who wants to ban all sex death bots is that what you're saying to me i'm saying the opposite i'm pretty sure but uh yeah death bots <laughs> death bots sex death bots yes. oh yeah death bots definitely yeah get rid of those <laughs> yeah I mean, I believe in everyone's right to bear death bots, but, you know, <laughs> there's some reason. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a non-argument, and I think they're just looking for something to complain about. I don't, I don't think, uh, there's no way, if robots have gotten to the point where they're replacing women, then uh, women need to step up their game, Okay. all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because right now, there's no way. Well, that does uh, bring up, I mean, that brings up this other one. Um should be tax robots. This is yeah. A... Now I don't understand how I tried reading that article and I got lost halfway through it. They well, started to yeah, this is a contemplation. Complication. Uh, complication. Can't say the word. Damn word. Yeah, if we can't even say the word, then I don't know if we should be talking about it. <laughs> this is a gathering of some of the arguments for and against the taxation of. I believe now when now the robots themselves aren't getting taxed. It's the people that own the robots, right? Right. Right. No one is trying to. No one's paying these robots. Yeah, no one from the IRS is going to be hounding Johnny Five at the local Yeah, well, you just wait till we are paying robots, and then we're going to be in deep shit. <laughs> um, but the idea is that those, that automation, that is the automation revolution, happening in more and more places now than ever before, um, is creating a sort of permanent overclass underclass. Because while it has been historically true that technology has led to more jobs, not less jobs, there's no reason why that trend has to continue. I mean, it's a trend, so it probably can, but there's no reason why it has to. So it might lead to the um, bad situation where you have a bunch of CEOs and rich people who own the robots and then really own all the means of production and the rest of humanity is superfluous. 
Yeah. Well, I don't think they've replaced everything with robots. They've replaced a like, lot of things. They have not replaced phone service with robots, that's for sure. You think so? Like, um, I'm not, I can't get anything done over the phone with a robot. Okay. I'll go crazy. I'll hang the phone up. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do it. I gotta talk to somebody. Okay. Um, there's lots of stuff that robots will never replace. Uh, florists can't replace a florist with a robot. I'm sure you could. No. I mean, a robot might have like set patterns it can put the flowers in and everything, but it's just, it's too complicated, I think, for them to do it well. Like lots of like, just like, uh, visual stuff. I don't think they'll ever be able to like do as well as a human can. Okay. Now, complex motions and stuff, of course, they've got that down. Like, putting a car together, uh, I'm sure, like, my job at the t-shirt place will be replaced pretty soon by a robot, but, you know. Do you think they'll have a robot that will just automatically generate uh, memes to put on t-shirts? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I think only robots will be wearing those t-shirts. And they'll only be memes that make sense to robots. We'll just see a bunch of QR codes being... Yeah, all these sex robots walking around with their shirts that don't make any sense. <laughs> I think you just described an old person's uh, a vision of of college. That's also my vision. Okay. <laughs> I'm an old person. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, should they be taxed? I mean, yeah. I mean, don't we tax employees? Well, we tax employees, but we don't tax – we don't have a special tax uh, – for a certain type of tool that a uh, employer owns, they don't tax equipment like trucks and stuff like that, or no. like no. In fact, they often give you tax breaks uh, based on the. Hmm. I mean, there's sales tax, but there's no like um, privilege of owning equipment. That's what this would be, essentially. So we're all worried that we're going to be losing taxes from taxing employees because the employees are going to be robots and they won't be taxed. That's yeah. That is one of the concerns. I mean, it seems like you're coming up with something to tax, which I'm not really into, but I guess you'd have to come up with something to tax if we're not taxing employees, because we've got to tax something. I mean, I guess taxes in other areas would just go up. Well, that is the dilemma, yes. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, if you've got the means to buy a robot, uh, you shouldn't be punished for that. What I think, personally, what I would love to see is some sort of committee um, organization uh, local grassroots community organizations to just buy robots. I would want to see community-owned uh, multi-purpose robotic factory. It can't be that hard to organize. It'd be that hard to pay for. No, if if like fifty families club together, I'm sure they could buy uh, a small plot of and set up a couple of multi-purpose robots in there and just, just build building the th- stuff. Yeah, just building the things that they need. Seems like you'd have to get like you'd have to have a source of raw materials too. Well, you would, but the main thing you'd have to have a source of raw materials, yes. But what you're also paying for in any finished product is labor, whether it's human labor or robotic labor. So True. if you if you could buy a car for say one third the price because your community owns the factory where the cars being, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I wouldn't trust my uh, community to be smart enough to pull that off hmm. personally. Well, I, mean, I mean, this is like, these are factories set up by, you know, people that do this for a living. Right, and the plans are already out there. It's not like we'd be the wheel. I mean, I, I would, 
envision something a bit like the farmers' co-ops that are all over Asheville, around here a lot as well, where people uh, sort of club together and they pay this uh, farm to grow the produce for them directly. Yeah, but isn't it illegal to just fabricate a Honda? No, no, no. As long as, well, yeah, to fabricate a Honda, there's trademark issues, but... Uh, well, you're going to have to make just generic car? I don't think they have plans for generic car out there. Sure they do. Maybe you could, like, do some Russian cars or something like that. <laughs> I mean, they have the specs for what you need to be road legal. So you just feed those specs to the computer. I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't be a Ford. It wouldn't be an Elantra. But it would be a car. Mm, I think there, I think there's some some kinks to work out on this one. Maybe that that, that it probably is yes. But that's the direction I'd like to see people heading. I mean, these the people are worried about the means of production and uh, exploitation. The way to solve that is to get the means of production. To be the guy making the stuff, not the guy working for other people to buy the stuff. That's sure. That's the direction. What I'm worried about. What this sounds like is, like, if people are not going to be making money anymore because they've been replaced by robots, and that's the utopia everybody wants, right? That they don't have to work because a robot's doing the work. Well, then we're going to have to get rid of taxes, too, because no one's going to have any money, hmm. right? I don't know. This sounds like a, a, a cliff leading to communism or something like that. I don't really like it. Ooh, communism. Well, but, so oh, that, I'm so I'm so blue communism. <laughs> well, so that raises the further dilemma. I mean, we accept communism through some sort of um, socialist robot workers utopia, or do we accept uh, communism um, through more taxes on our robots? Because I mean, either way you cut it, that's the government getting more and more into the business. Right. That's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think if I mean if you are Taking work away by having robots, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know what? I say just let's let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Too early to say is a perfectly valid response. Right. Right. Um, I think uh, there was a quote about communist China. Someone asked a Chinese official, "So, what did you think of the French Revolution in the 20th century?" Too early to say. So some people take a lot of time to think of it. Right. Well, let's, let's talk about a more benign use of robotics and artificial intelligence, this uh, chatbot. I am fascinated by the story. It's a lawyer. It's a chatbot lawyer, right? Yes. It started out as a chat as, as a sort of chatbot lawyer that helped people appeal their parking tickets. And it saved sure. hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then yeah. it became uh, one that help people apply for emergency housing. And now the same company, uh, the original program was called Do Not Pay, but now it's being used to help refugees claim asylum. And the guy uh, consulted a whole bunch of lawyers to make sure it went right. And it's a simple user interface. Put in the answers to the questions asked you and it helps you prepare the best refugee application you can. Sure. That's, that's neat. I love that. I love that that kind of thing is happening. And it also shows how easily people can be replaced <laughs> by a robot. Yeah, I mean, if a, a lawyer can be replaced, I mean, why would anyone go to a lawyer? If you can just have a robot do it for you for free instead of paying, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour just for some jerk that knows the laws to tell you that, you know, what you have to do. I mean, I'd rather, 
have experience tells me that I'd rather use TurboTax than go to a uh, a actual tax person because it saves me money. Yes, but on the other hand, like you were saying, uh, your experience with phone service. I imagine that applies double or triple to some people when it comes to matters of the law and life and death. Well, I don't know. If it's, like, little matters that, like, are simple, like, you know, parking tickets and stuff, I'd much rather do that than, like, pay money, I guess. No, yeah, I agree. But, I mean, lawyers aren't really handling those little things. No one goes to a lawyer to appeal their parking, at least most people. But now they have a resource that otherwise really wasn't available because no one's going to pay Two hundred dollars um, to get a lawyer to get them out of a fifty dollars parking ticket. Right now they can have their app do it. Yeah, I mean I don't know if they'll ever get advanced enough to be able to like you know do a murder case or something like that. Uh, nor should they. Uh, I think a human should still be involved in the process of life or death of other humans. <laughs> get the robots out of the room when it comes to that. Yeah, put them in the. I don't even want to know what robots think about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bring on the death box, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know. What's the state of AI right now? Who's Who's got the best AI and how evil is it? Uh, I don't... Google think... has got some scary stuff going on, right? Uh, Google has some interesting things going on, and evidently, um, what is it? Siri, not Siri, uh, Echo, I think. Um, if you ask it, Echo, are you working for the CIA? It won't respond to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of scary. Um, they can get you through the Xbox, right? I always knew they could get you through the Xbox. Evidently, can get you virtually anything. Um, smart TV, the Xbox, all your little set of things. Uh, know everything about you. And other There's no way they're getting me through my flip phone. There's no way I can't even do anything through my flip phone. I don't think the CIA can remotely do something through my flip phone without me knowing about it. Well, it's weird. The CIA is getting a lot of information from you through your phone bin, but it's the CIA of the early 90s, so you really can't do right. much with the information. <laughs> Why are we getting all this information from this weird, random guy in the future? I don't yeah, I know. It's all on a really big reel-to-reel tape somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about this final article. Um, less an article, more of an opinion, I suppose, but one that I found very thought-provoking from The Nation. Abolish the police. Instead, let's have full social, economic, and equality. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that shit at all. You didn't find that? There's no way that I want my neighborhood in charge of my safety. That's crazy. Well, I think the essential argument is that for a large number of people, maybe, I mean, as it said in the article, not, maybe not well-off white people, but for a large number of people, having no one in charge of their safety might actually be safer than the current setup. Just because they don't feel safe doesn't mean they're not safe. And just because you feel safe I'd say doesn't it's mean... A lot, okay, he was complaining about there being a police car out front of their house, and it was making everyone feel very unsafe right. having a police car there. Now, I did anything actually, did the policeman kill anybody while he was there? No. No. And he was probably keeping a bunch of, like, you know, people that shouldn't be there from being there, by being there, right? Well, well I, that's the thing. As you said, just because you don't feel safe doesn't mean that you aren't safe. But the reverse also holds true. Just because you feel safe does not mean you actually are safe. True. I mean, but I mean, I think if you weren't safe, you would quickly not feel safe because something unsafe would be happening. Unsafe things would be happening around because <laughs> they could. 
boy, all these pianos keep dropping by me, but I'm okay. Cause I- well, I mean, if people just started randomly, you know, robbing houses because the police weren't around, I would not feel safe. I would be terrified. But that's that's sort of his argument, that it that it, the police aren't really acting as that much of a deterrent. That, that's because, a load of crap. Okay, well, I mean, going to the article, to the article. Let me, uh, James Baldwin. Uh, okay. Writing for Gawker, David Graeber of the London School. That's the first problem right there. Not a Graeber fan? Not a Gawker fan. Ah. Well, he is um, of the London School of Economics, so it does carry a little bit of it, but this is what he wrote. The police spend very little of their time dealing with violent criminals. Indeed, police sociologists report that only about 10% of the average police officer's time is devoted to criminal matters of any kind. Most of the remaining 90% is spent with infractions of various administrative codes and regulations, all those rules about how and where one can drink, smoke, sell, sit, walk, and drive. If two people punch each other or even draw a knife on each other, police are unlikely to get involved. Drive down the street in a car without license plates on the and the authorities will show up instantly, giving all sorts of dire consequences if you don't do exactly what they tell you. The police, then, are essentially just bureaucrats with weapons. Their main role in society is to bring the threat of physical force, even death, into situations where it would never have been involved otherwise, such as the enforcement of civil ordinances about the sale of untaxed cigarettes. So, the question becomes... Are the cops really keeping people from robbing everybody? If there were, if we had a day without cops, would all the houses get robbed? A uh, day without cops. Yeah. Uh, if it was a week without cops, yes, I think lots of places would be robbed. Yes. Okay. There is no law, no repercussions for doing something. I would say much worse than that. And I think a lot of it would come from people that are trying to get rid of the cops. Uh, I think uh, a lot of it. Uh, it would turn into the freaking French Revolution if uh, that happened. Yeah, it would be a wave of terror, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Well, but the thing about the uh, French Revolution is that there were at least two sides to that. There was the enrages, or enrages, and then there was the Reign of Terror. The Reign of Terror happened after. Lots of people got their heads well, That's what I meant. I meant the, I'm, I'm meaning the Reign of Terror, not the... Uh, I mean, people going into the the houses of the nobility and dragging them out and killing them. That's what I think would happen. So, nobility being people with a nice house. Well, Tim Tebow. Are you that yeah. desperate to see Tim Tebow live to see another Don, Ben? Uh, <laughs> wait, yeah. I would love to see something horrible happen to Tim Tebow, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't understand, like, first of all, yes, the cops uh, will prosecute you for all the, or go after you for all these little infractions. How about not doing the infraction? How about getting a license on your car? How about not selling cigarettes, uh, in, you know, in an illegal fashion? How about that? I mean, maybe, I mean, they, they have to do that. Why do they have to, why do they have to do because that? Because it's the law. You can't do, you can't break the law. Well, That's yes, the point probably, of the law. But you're probably breaking the law right now. Sure, and I'm not getting caught. I'm not right out there in front of everybody doing something. You know, if if my license, if I don't have a license, I'm breaking the law in public. Breaking the law in public, you should not be doing. But should cops be involved? Should guys with guns? Well, who who who's who's going to be involved if the cops aren't involved? Well, that's a good who's question. Who's supposed to do it? Well, is it just supposed to be some guy in a suit and tie driving around on a moped that's supposed to tell you to get you know a license? That's what happens in other countries. 
We, let's not bring other countries into this. Let's bring, let's, we're talking about the U.S. of A. <laughs> we are talking about the U.S. of A. Who, um, imprisons and cops with guns show up for a lot more shit than other countries. We are You want to get rid of the cop problem, legalize drugs. That, that would get rid of 90% of everyone's problems with cops. It would get rid of a lot of the problems. I don't know if that's everything, but rid of a lot of them. I mean, it's, if you want to see racism, that's the war on drugs. That's, and, but I mean, it, it hits a lot of more people than, you know, just like other races too. White people also get, you know, swept up into that crap. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's based on a racist, like the, the whole idea behind the war of dr- on drugs is racist to begin with. Yes. Like the way that people were sold on it was racist. Like the whole thing's racist. Yep. That's a, that's the big, huge racist boogeyman in front of everybody's face, and that's really the only thing that we should be trying to get rid of <laughs> right now is the war on drugs. I think it would solve so almost all the problems if we got rid of it. It would solve a lot. Well, of aside problems. from us going to other countries and killing them for their oil, that's the other big problem. But I would say the war on drugs is a huge problem, and it's the reason there's like half the crime that we have. That, that makes a lot of it would, sense. It, would, it wouldn't be crime if you legalized it. Well, I think we're going to leave uh, that particular question undecided. Uh, so, what's going on with your life? Anything interesting coming up in the next week or so? Uh, I got a show coming up. When's your show? What's what's going on? Tell me about the show. Uh, we're playing at the uh, some uh, art show. We're going to be playing at it. Everyone's going to have to quiet down while we play our heavy metal music. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on March sixteenth, if you're in uh, Asheville, March 16th, at the auditorium, at night. The Asheville Auditorium. Yeah, the Bazaar of the Bazaar is okay. the name of the event. All right, so Earth Collider will be playing the Bazaar of the Bazaar on March 16th. Better it's called the West Side Bazaar, which is not as good as the Bazaar of the Bazaar. Uh, did we used to do a thing called the Bazaar of the Bazaar? Is that, that's not a first, is it? I, I'm sure someone somewhere has used that before. Someone must have used that before. Yeah. Every, everything good has already been used. The right. question now is just how brazenly you can steal it. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Okay, so we got that show coming up. I will link to more information that in the show notes. I want to thank you for uh, being on the show, Ben, and I hope to have you back next week. All right, John. It's always a pleasure. You're listening to the Lemurian Hour. The bombing will begin in 10 seconds. Okay, now we have Unique Grisby of Unique Div- Divination of Urban Mystic. Uh, tarot on our program a uh, fascinating person does some fascinating work and well I'm not going to say I believe in magic however I am skeptical about a great many things including a non-belief in magic and I could believe just about anything um, if you give me five seconds so I do find the idea of magic very interesting I find the idea of chaos magic very interesting and I found this interview very interesting so here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lemurian Hour. My name is Reverend Chai Lemuria, and with me right now I have practicing uh, sorceress, Unique Divination. Hello, Unique. Hey, Chai. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. I, it was my pleasure. Now, for those of our audience who don't have a firm idea of what magic actually is in today's modern age, could you give us your definition of magic? Sure. Um, my definition of magic is basically would be using tools, um, however, whatever those tools are, to kind of manifest 
um, what it is that you desire, your goals, and things that you would like to achieve. Okay. I remember a, uh, a story, I suppose, or a memo from uh, Crowley, where he said that every conscious act is a natural act, and he defined, he said that sending a letter could be a form of magic, because you're using tools, uh, like your paper and a pen, to accomplish your will. Correct. I certainly agree. Um, we pretty much use magic in our everyday life and we don't even realize it, um, the things that we do, um, especially technology. Technology is a form of magic, um, phones, social media, computers, TV, um, all these things are a form of magic. Pictures, artwork, um, songs, poetry, um, pretty much anything that we can think of um, that we do could be classified as some type of magic. So your definition of magic is perhaps ironically much less, shall we say, supernatural than some other definitions. You're just Magic for you is very much a part of the natural world. Correct. Okay. Yes, I believe basically um, as above, so below. Um, I think that it reflects. One can't reflect without the other, so I don't think that um, it could be, you know, supernatural and not be a part of the natural world as well. Okay. How did you get into magic? What drew you to this? Well, um, it all started so long ago. <laughs> Growing up in a Christian home, um, my mom was very strict. We went to church all the time, and I was always the one to question um, the teaching. Um, I always questioned how, you know, the pastor would go about with the lessons and why are we jumping from parables? Why don't we go through a whole chapter or, you know, things of that nature? And I started to um, just get into research um, about certain things. And in college, I was introduced to some classes that helped me study otherworldly religions. Mm. And um, I got into the occult. I would say around um, 2006. Um, and it's funny how I got into it because it was like, I don't even know. Like I was into like conspiracy stuff. So okay. To speak. And it just kind of led me down a rabbit hole. And then I just started getting into um, the Anunnaki, Nibiru, mm. um, which led me to the Sumerian, which led me to... Um, the ancient Egypt um, mystery schools, which led me to Freemasonry, Rosicrucian. Um, I also like um, like psychology, things dealing with the mind, reprogramming the mind. Mm -hmm. um, so that stuff interested me as well. And it just kind of um, landed me into um, certain people on Facebook and certain groups that um, introduced me to magic. Now, I've always done magic as far as for manifesting things for myself, but I really wasn't aware of what I was doing. So once I started getting into the occult and started learning about metaphysical things and studying quantum mechanics and quantum physics, I started to realize and piece together like, hey, you know, I am the creator of my own universe, you know, and then I just started getting dabbling into like, um, magic and stuff and i've studied crawley a little bit um it just went from there like it was kind of like a rabbit hole type thing okay as it so often is in the occult um i'm sure many people are interested how would a typical day go for you 
as far as using magic? I mean, what, uh, how would it uh, inform your daily life? As far as personal or for the business? Well, actually, my question is about both because you do, do you do this as a business. You are a magical entrepreneur, which I think is fantastic. I, I was just wondering how it uh, works in your daily life and how it works uh, in your business as well. Well, first and foremost, um, I specialize in like sigil work, um, servitors, mm-hmm. I guess um, sorcery, the left-hand pass type stuff, um, and basically – um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Repeat what you just said. <laughs> well, I'm, I've had a long day. Okay, wait, manifesting it. Okay, manifesting for myself. So, okay. So, basically, um, I just, I started with sigil work. Um, and for and, those of, for those of us in the audience who have no idea what sigils are, maybe you give us the briefest overview of what sigil work is. Sigil work, sigils are basically your written, manifestation or intent intention statement which is like a goal like say if you have a goal or something you basically would write it out and some people do sigils a little bit differently but the way how i do them is i remove all the vowels and repeating letters Mm -hmm. and i'm left with the remaining letters and then you kind of put them together to make a picture Mm -hmm. um you put them all together kind of make it flow and in no way shape or form should it resemble any of the letters that were in the sentence. Um, and this is for programming your subconscious mind. Um, and so you can do different things with the sigil. You can meditate with it. You can charge it. You can um, burn it. You can bury it. Whatever it feels like you want to do or, or whatever it is, that, um, how you want to do it to your own practitioner. Mm-hmm. So I just that, started. Um, I would just like to point sorry. out that you do have that YouTube series and I did see a couple of videos on sigils, and we'll definitely uh, link to that in the show notes, and we'll give that uh, address at the end of the show because I, you, you are give as I said, giving us a very brief overview, and you have definitely expounded more on that. And I just I right. want to make sure that the audience knows about that. Um, but in my readings about the occult, I mean, there's always like the daily rituals and stuff like that. I was wondering if you could maybe give us some insight into what you do on a regular habitual basis well um pretty much for me everything is kind of a ritual Mm -hmm. um anything that you put a certain intent or energy behind it can be a ritual so for me um definitely mental programming um as far as um programming my thought um i might meditate for a little bit and just um meditate on positive affirmations, meditate on sigils that I've created. Um, Also, I burn candles, like candles for protection, um, candles to help raise my um, vibration, my frequency. Um, And like I said, I definitely do a lot of sigil work to help manifest things. I, If I want to manifest money, um, jobs, career movement, even with the business, I did a sigil on it and I usually leave my sigils up, like on my wall, there's a picture or something. Mm-hmm. And so what I have manifested has come to pass, and then I'll get rid of it. But um, I don't necessarily do, it's not like a the same thing every day per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have a different ritual um, for the same thing. If I do something, I might, you know, have a dance ritual. Um, I also practice sex magic. So there, there's a variety of... Um, 
different things that I might do on a regular basis. But um, as far as my business, mm, yes, <clears throat> candles, candle magic is a big thing um, that people get from me um, and tarot reading. Um, that I do try to do on a regular basis. I meditate um, through tarot. I'll pull okay. a card. And whatever that card is, I'll figure out how it's going to apply to me for that day, hmm. um, what to look out for, and, um, you know, what advice that that card has given me for that particular day. Um, and I just try to make sure that I'm very cautious of my thoughts. Being a magical practitioner and manifesting what you, you know, seeing the results of manifestation, you have to be very aware of of your thoughts and, and what you think and what you say because it can manifest. So um a lot of my time is just spent just just clearing my energies and just make keeping myself protected. Hmm. Um, basically. Hmm. Well from a magical and a business standpoint, who would you say your role models are? And they could be historical or fictional because there are so many uh magical characters in fiction. But who would you who would you say that you try to emulate or remote the role models are? Um, one person that I particularly like, and people are not really aware of him okay. in the occult, um, is Pascal Beverly Randolph. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, I am drawing a blank. It's possible I've heard of him. I cannot place him right now. Please please tell us about Mr. Uh, Rand- Mr. Randolph. Okay, well, he's a Rosicrucian, as am I. I f- I'm with Amork. I don't have a religion, but I do. I am affiliated with the um, Amork order. Okay. And um, basically, um, he was a black man. I think his dad was white and was a politician from Virginia, but he was a doctor. He was a friend of Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Um, he wrote several books on sex magic. Um, and he also um, was grandmaster of the of the order, Amark orders over in France. Um, I, he did. He was a medium. Okay. Um, he achieved a lot of great things, even though he died penniless and broke. And a lot of people um, took from his work, like Blavatsky. Um, she's hmm. the main one. Um, so I would have to say him. Okay. And it's um, definitely him because. Um, because he's a black person and he doesn't, to me, get the, get the, uh, I guess the, uh, respect and, and the accolation that I think he deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, who else would I pretty much say? I like Terrence McKenna. He's not necessarily magical, but, um. Anyone who mentions great. machine elves as much as Mr. McKenna does, I think he counts broadly in magic. Say that again? Anyone who mentions machine elves as, as much as Mr. McKenna does, I think, counts broadly in magic. I, I put him in the magic category. Right. Um, who else? Manly P. Hall. Okay. Um, he's really good. I follow a lot of his um, readings. Um, I'm pretty much all over the place. <laughs> I don't really have a set. I'd say Randolph is my favorite because he's a Rosicrucian, but mm-hmm. I enjoy um, – reading from a lot of magical practitioners. Um, I just enjoy all of it, really. I, so I, Now that you mention him, I think, I think I heard of uh, Mr. Randolph before. I think Connor Habib, uh, who is a very interesting character in occult circles, did a um, profiles on uh, basically heroes of sexual liberation. I think uh, Mr. Randolph came up in that regard. Right. Um, so yeah, that's cool. 
Uh, oh, I almost, I'm sorry. I almost forgot, and I don't even know how I could forget because <laughs> uh, I'm a chaos magician, but Osman Austin um, Spare. Yes. Um, he's the one that created so much like sigil work and chaos magic. So him, because, you know, that's my pretty much my expertise. So okay. I would say I would, I'd look up to him as well. Cool. Yes, I don't think Mr. Spare gets nearly enough uh, attention nowadays, and he should get more. Right. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So I was reading your website, and you referenced two of my favorite things, uh, Chaos Magic and Young Intercology. You mentioned Chaos Magic before. Could you perhaps just expand uh, uh, slightly on what Chaos Magic is and how you use that and Young Intercology in your work? Sure. So chaos magic to me is just basically using any tool necessary to manifest what it is that you desire. And that would be using different deities, different religions, different practices. Um, even still, it's, it's widely known, but it's still kind of taboo because a lot of people are very touchy when it comes to using their deities in ways that they feel like is not being used correctly or, you know, if you're not um, initiated into a certain religion, they feel like you don't have the right to use that. And because I am a spiritual person and I study all forms of religions and practices, um, chaos magic is beneficial to me because I feel like everything is connected. I feel like God has shown himself in all forms of religion and spirituality. And I feel like the only way to tap into that, you know, that consciousness, that, that God that we're all looking for, I think that we have to utilize all those religions and all those practices. So that's basically what chaos magic is. And you use whatever deity. Um, some people use whatever deity they need for that certain situation and never work with them again. They may use someone else and they never work with them again. Um, and that's pretty much that's pretty much what chaos magic is. Okay. Um, and the Jungian psychology, you mentioned uh, working with the uh, shadow archetype on the website. Yeah. So Carl Jung is a Swiss um, psychiatrist, and he came up with, the sh with shadow work. And shadow is your shadow self. It's basically that side of us that we have put away for mm -hmm. several reasons. Um, it could be that it does not conform with society. It does not conform with um, your household or your family. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your shadow has bad things in it. It could be good things. Say, for instance, you live in a family, you're a female, and you have, you live in a household with all guys, a dad and brothers, and it's constantly putting your head that, you know, females are inferior, um, they're second class. Um, so things that you would exude like strength, um, leadership, um, confidence, that would be cast into your shadow because it doesn't fit. It doesn't conform with your your home. And so you tuck that away and you leave it in your shadow. And so what I do is I help people bring out the things that they have just cast in their shadow. Like I said, it could be good things, it can be bad. Some people, you know, tend to think that it's always bad, but it's not. Um, sometimes shadow work is looking at that part of yourself that you really don't like to look at and to accept it and to accept yourself so that you can feel complete. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very hard to do for a lot of people. Um, you know, everybody has three sides, the side, you know, um, but that one side that nobody sees, that's, that's pretty much the shadow side. Okay. Now, Miss, Miss Devent Nation, you're an African American woman practicing something that at least came from Western ceremonial magic. A practice that is historically, as a cliche, mostly old white guys. So it makes, right. you, <laughs> makes you a bit of a groundbreaker, which I applaud. But given that the occult world is at least as racist and sexist as the, you know, quote unquote, regular world, I was wondering, have you faced much bigotry and discrimination in your magical practice because of that? Say that last bit again. Well, I mean, as a, have you faced much bigotry or discrimination in your magical? Oh, practice? all the time, all, all the time, time. and oh. and and surprisingly more so from the black community than from any other community. Okay. Um, to me, the occult and why I'm a Rosicrucian is because we study the metaphysical. Um, Rosicrucians also study the ancient Egyptian mystery schools. Mm-hmm. So although what I do is primarily, you would say, you know, what, what white people do, <laughs> it really right. stems back to ancient Egypt and it even goes further than that, ancient Sumer. Mm-hmm. So I get this issue all the time. Um, this is something that I identify with. I feel comfortable with it. But at the end of the day, it transcends religion. It goes back to the one, to the consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I studied, I had, um, I'll bring up an example. I post Baphomet, pictures of Baphomet on my Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. And I had this black girl post and say that I keep um, posting pictures of the white people's gods. And these are not gods of our people. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so let me give her some information because Baphomet actually comes from a four-headed ram god from Egypt. Mm-hmm. So there have been other forms of horned gods in history other than Baphomet. Mm-hmm. But these people don't take the time to study. And I feel like people, a lot of spiritual people think that they leave a religion. And, oh, I'm spiritual, but they're just conforming to another box. And that's why I don't conform to a religion. That's why I study all practices, because I feel like once you put that religious label on yourself, no matter what it is, if it's Ifa, Santeria, Christianity, Islam, it's another box, you know. And so, you know, that for me... um I get that a lot, and I get it. I get it a lot from the black community, but they're not understanding that what I study transcends, you know, it transcends time. It, it has nothing to do with a religion. It, it goes back to the source. I study things that go back to the source. Okay. And I study things that deal with, like I said, the metaphysical. I'm not necessarily concerned with, um, you know, oh, this God is not my God. I take from all guys. I study I study Indian religion, um, getting into Ifa a little bit, Centaria. But um You did mention Cent- that you uh, have a I think some of a special affinity for Kali. Yes. I work with Kali a lot. Um I just feel connected to her. And maybe it's from another, you know, a past life or whatever, but um I also work with Lord Ganesh. I have both of their tapestries in my room. Hmm. Um, Lord Ganesh is the remover of obstacle. So <laughs> when I identify with deities, 
I'm identifying on what is their purpose and what can they help me do. Mm-hmm. And if I invoke them, you know, how will they help me? So, you know, if it applies, then I use it. If if I don't feel connected to it, I don't feel connected to it. And um, Well, this brings up another uh, point that, and I think you, uh, you've already touched on it, but cultural appropriation is a bit of a controversial subject in occult and new age circles. I mean, you've got clueless white guys killing a bunch of people in sweat lodges and uh, various things like that. Um, what are your views on cultural appropriation in occult and new age uh, circumstances? Honestly, I feel like everybody's taken from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we go back thousands of years, um, we've all taken from somewhere. Um, I was watching Alexander the Great last night, and he conquered that wide mass of land, and he brought, you know, a Macedonian Alexander uh, library into the Asian world, Mm -hmm. and they took on part of their culture. So this has been going on for a long time, um, but because of the society that we're in, we tried to use it as a division instead of using it to kind of come together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I can understand why people are touchy about that, but I tend to look at things, you know, on a bigger picture okay. and I just feel like we all take from everything. Um, the, the thing is though, is the acknowledgement part mm-hmm. and the paying respect and, and giving dues. Um, that's the only thing that I will say about that, um, is just to, you know, remember where where it comes from and just to pass on that history like they used to do a very long time ago you know um would they would they would they would use the stuff but they would also have the history behind it okay um and explain where things come from and why we did this and things of that nature so and quite frankly explaining where things come from is the most fun for me i love the history of stuff i love finding out where the words and the concepts and the rituals and the gods come from Right. Fun for me. Yeah, and then as far as like cultural appropriation also becomes a problem when you try to take something and then erase mm-hmm. where it came from, and that goes back to where I was saying about paying respect and paying dues. So, right. I mean, you know, the trying to wipe away and and claim it as our own is kind of like, eh, you know, just mm-hmm. give dues. I mean, nothing is ever gonna stay the same um, as long as people are always <clears throat> mixing and. You know, coming together, we're all going to take from each other's culture, each other's practices. I mean, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Here's a little thought experiment for you. Judy shows up, gives you one wish. What is one thing that you would change in the world related to magic and the occult? If you could just make one big change to reality with regards to magic and the occult, what would you do? What would you change and why? Hmm. That's a very good question. You're God Empress for one day. And there was one thing that I would change for people mm-hmm. as far as with magic? Well, as far as, uh, yes, magic, the occult, how they react to it, how will they know about it, that sort of thing. Um, take away the illusion and the fear. Mm. Take away the illusion so people can see it for what it really is. And so it doesn't have to be coded and you know, things of that nature for people to understand. So definitely just take that illusion and that fear away. Okay. Well, i just like to point out that you uh, missed out on reinstituting 
Saturnalia as a national holiday, but that's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll go past that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being on the Lemurian Hour, Miss Divination. This has been a fascinating talk. And if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you on these internets of ours? Uh, well, they can go to my website, www.urbanmystic.com, and mystic is M-Y-S-T-I-K, um, spelled with a K. Um, I also have a Facebook group called Order of the Servant, um, and if anybody's ever interested in learning about um, Rosicrucianism, I have a Rosicrucian study group called The Rosy Cross, that's also on Facebook. Um, my YouTube channel, Urban Mystic Radio, um, where I've just started it up, but I'm starting to like explain things for people and um, shed light on certain things that people are not familiar with. Um, and that's about it. And also uh, Instagram, which is where I found you. Yes, I'm sorry. Instagram <laughs> um, at unique underscore divination. And that's unique E U N I Q. Correct. Well, again, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a great interview, and I hope to have you back on very soon. Thank you for having me. It was very interesting. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Lemurian Hour. My guests tonight have been Ben Robinson and Unique Grisby. The theme music for the Lemurian Hour is Future 1957 Instrumental by Daywear, off the Futuristic Groove from the Past EP. You can find other episodes of this podcast on my website, johnnylemuria.com, and on iTunes. You can also find the Lemurian Hour on Facebook, and you can find Johnny Lemuria on Twitter and Pinterest, and on Tumblr at lemurianspace.tumblr.com. <laughs>